Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the virtual voyage, we were on top of Mount Gerizim, here in Israel, learning about the Samaritans. The Samaritans are a group of people who believe the Jews are mistaken about a number of things, from believing in the whole of the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, to the Jews' belief that Jerusalem is the holy city. So thus, the Samaritans consider themselves to be the true Israelites. And the mountain we're on right now, Mount Gerizim, is home to about half of the 800 Samaritans that survive today. I want to continue to learn more about the Samaritans, but I am not an expert on Samaritanism. So we're going to shortly meet someone who is, who will be our tour guide for today, Dr. Reinhard Pummer. Dr. Pummer received his PhD from the University of Vienna and is a professor emeritus of religious studies at the University of Ottawa. His main focus in academics has been Samaritanism. He has written several books on the Samaritans, including his most recent award-winning book, The Samaritans, A Profile. His many articles and book chapters highlight diverse aspects of Samaritanism. We're very fortunate to have one of the world's foremost experts on Samaritanism join us today to share his knowledge. Let's not let the suspense build any longer. Follow me over to the shady spot on Mount Gerizim, where we're at right now, where you can all take a seat and we'll meet Dr. Pummer. Here he is, Dr. Pummer. Thank you for joining us today here on the virtual voyage. You're welcome, Abigail. Hello. Well, if we are now on Mount Gerizim, then this is the place where once they had a temple, which was discovered not long ago by archaeology. Although the temple as such wasn't discovered, but at least uh, the surrounding wall that uh, protected it. But it's pretty sure there was a temple there. Even though today Samaritans, they maintain there never was a temple there. Despite uh, all the archaeological evidence, despite the historical evidence in various uh, writings, they insist. I think the reason is because the temple was destroyed in about 110 BCE. And that was such a shock for them that with time, they suppressed this painful memory. And now they think there never was a temple there. But as I say, it was their center for uh, since the fifth century BCE, at least to 110 uh, BCE when it was destroyed by the Hasmoneans. They live now on Mount Gerizim, but they have a second place where they live. This is Cholon, a suburb of uh, Tel Aviv. And uh, so we have two groups of Samaritans, although they all believe the same, they all uh, practice the same rituals, uh, follow the same traditions and so. Uh, the, the Samaritans in uh, Choron, of course, speak uh, primarily Hebrew, whereas those on Mount Gerizim, uh, Arabic, because they live in an Arabic area, in the Arabic society. 
but they know Hebrew too, of course. Hebrew is, uh, anyway, their uh, sacred language in which they recite the Pentateuch, even though it's slightly different from modern Hebrew. It uh, is an ancient form of uh, Hebrew, but overall they have all the same uh, Pentateuch, of course, the same text and so on, and the same. The text of the Pentateuch of the Samaritans is also basically the same as the text of the uh, Jewish Pentateuch. Only there are some uh, small changes in it. If one counts the very small changes, there are thousands. But they are not of importance for the meaning of the of Pentateuch. If one, the major one is of course precisely the mountain on which we are now, namely Mount Gerizim. Uh, it is their uh, holy place uh, from the beginning, because uh, God has uh, decreed that uh, this is where they should put up the stones with the texts of the Ten Commandments. And uh, uh, so they have worshipped it, uh, revered the mountain for all those millennia. Now, they are very close to Judaism, of course. But I, I give you the first, the major principles that they see as constitutive of the identity. First, they must have forever re reside in the Holy Land. Second, it is obligatory for each Samaritan to participate in the sacrifice on Mount Gerizim at Passover. Third, they must celebrate the Sabbath as it is written in the Torah. And fourth, they must adhere to the laws of purity and impurity as prescribed in the Torah, mainly in the book of Leviticus. And in addition to these four principles, they have also four principles of faith, namely one God, who is the God of Israel, second, one prophet, Moses, son of Amram, third, one holy book, the Pentateuch, the Torah handed down by Moses, one holy place, Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim. And among the many differences to the Jews, there's the Samaritans are led up to this day by a high priest. The high priest is now the oldest member of the priestly family. The priestly family traces back their origins to the biblical tribe of Levi. They do not have rabbis like the Jews. So there are very few, of course, as uh, Abigail said, around 800 or 850, when I got to know them, they were 500. In the meantime, they uh, increased in numbers, and mainly by marrying non-Samaritans. The descent among the Samaritans is uh, counted from the fathers, so they have a patrilineal system. And so they can, in, for a long time, for some time, they allowed Jewish women to marry Samaritan men if the women agreed to live as Samaritans. 
there was no conversion ceremony or anything like this, but they had to live uh, according to the traditions and rules of the Samaritans. So that increased the numbers already. But in the last while, they have opened it up much further. Anybody, not only Jewish women, but anybody who would like to join them can, provided that they live according to the traditions and laws of the Samaritans. And so they have increased now to what I just said about 160. And it is, as far as the antiquity is concerned, uh, they are often said to have been uh, in the thousands or in millions. But there's no way that we could confirm this or deny this. Uh, the fact is there were numerous in, the, in antiquity. But then there came the persecutions in the Byzantine period and in the Muslim times, in, in a Muslim when they conquered uh, Palestine. So they dwindled to a few hundred. And um, today, still today, you can find Samaritans uh, in the area of Nablus, where uh, the Mount Gerizim is, that uh, have converted in the past to uh, to Islam, Be mostly it's through names that you can uh, determine that. In addition to these two the main centers, Mount Gerizim and Choron, in the past there were there was a Samaritan diaspora in various cities in Palestine, Egypt, Gaza, Damascus, Athens, Corinth, Delos. Constantinople and Rome. But uh, gradually, the persecutions that I just uh, spoke about uh, brought an end to this diaspora. The last city from which they were expelled around 1820 was Gaza. Another thing that I would like to raise, uh, in the past, many authors spoke of the Samaritan, Samaritans as a sect of Judaism. This is not accepted anymore because it would mean that they originated as an offshoot of Judaism as we had it in the Hellenistic Roman period. Now we know that the Samaritans are one offshoot of the ancient Israelites and the Jews are another offshoot. So we see them uh, as a separate Yahwistic community that uh, came into being long before uh, before our time, of course. And um, if I come back to the Samaritan Pentateuch, that is their sacred scripture, as I said, there are many minor chain differences, but uh, overall uh, there are some major ones and one is the Tenth Commandment in the Samaritan Pentateuch. It is different from the Tenth Commandment in the Jewish Pentateuch because it combines a number of biblical passages from Deuteronomy that emphasize that Mount Gerizim is the chosen place. Now, how did they 
so they uh, put these map passages together, Bible passages from Deuteronomy, and still have ten commandments because the first commandment in the Jewish Pentateuch they count as an introduction. Now, we also these revere the Pentateuch uh, very much, and one expression of this is that when they pray in the synagogue, they set up a scroll of the Pentateuch in the front of the synagogue, although they do not read from the scroll. They uh, don't even read the, the Bible in the, uh, the synagogue, but after the Sabbath service, they go home and read the Bible at home. So the, they have one of these scrolls, they consider the oldest scroll. It's called the Abisha scroll. Abisha was the great-grandson of Aaron. And they believe it was written 13 years after the Israelites entered into Canaan. So, uh, of course, uh, critical scholarship does not agree with the age of this uh, scroll, but it is, uh, first of all, not one scroll, but it consists of several parts. And uh, secondly, it, uh, it was written much later, centuries later. I mentioned before that archaeology, modern archaeology, uh, uh, exposed the walls that were protecting the temple, which we haven't found yet, but which we are pretty sure is there. But in addition, they uh, uncovered also a number of Samaritan synagogues. And these are very interesting. They are different in several respects from Jewish synagogues. And even today, the Samaritan synagogues, if you go to uh, Samaria and visit one, you will see they have no benches. Uh, they have uh, carpets on the floor. So before you go <clears throat> to the synagogue, you have to take your shoes off. And then the prayer gestures are also very different from Jewish prayer gestures. In fact, if you see them and don't uh, hear what they say or don't know who they are, you could think you are in a, in a mosque because they bow down uh, like uh, Muslims, uh, kneel down, bow down, and uh, prostrate. And uh, they have gestures that in certain places of the prayer, they wipe their face with their two hands, again, similar as you have in, the, in, the, in Islam. So uh, that's uh, uh, what uh, archaeology, as I say, uh, uncovered these synagogues, and they had some of them had beautiful mosaics. And again, a difference is none of their mosaics have living beings pictured. Whereas Jewish synagogues very soon in antiquity too had uh, living beings, humans and so on, which is forbidden according to the Samaritans uh, by the Bible. And therefore we can distinguish also on that basis what is a Samaritan synagogue and what is a 
a Jewish synagogue. So that's another difference. And uh, today, of course, uh, it is clear what is a Samaritan synagogue and what is a Jewish synagogue. Talking about synagogues, there is important for visitors to the synagogues that they are in the state of ritual purity. And as I said, this is a very important principle of the Samaritans, uh, and you will hear right why. Uh, the laws are taken from the book of Leviticus mostly, and they concern mostly sexual discharge. Namely, if somebody has intercourse or a nocturnal emission or menstruation or childbirth, they are ritually impure. And in the case of intercourse and nocturnal emission, the impurity lasts for one day. But if, if a man, for instance, had intercourse and goes to the synagogue next day, he must stand in the back. He cannot speak out loudly and uh, cannot read from a book. Now, with menstruation, it is for a woman, she is impure seven days, where everything she touches or sits on becomes impure. So this is, of course, not easy. And in the very past, there were special menstruation, in the long ago past, menstruation huts where the women could be isolated uh, so as not to uh, infect, so to speak, others with their, uh, with their impurity. Now they are by themselves, they have their own dishes and what have you. Nobody can touch them. Otherwise, if they do, they also become impure. So, and then uh, the other one is after childbirth. After the birth of a girl, the mother is impure for 80 days. And after the birth of a boy, the mother is impure for 40 days. So both these uh, kinds of impurity for women, menstruation and childbirth present, of course, enough problems for uh, the families, as you can well imagine. So this is also a problem with, with uh, joining the Samaritans. Some women do not like that. Others uh, say in young girls, this is the, gives them distinction. Nobody else has this but them. So it gives them distinction as Samaritans. Now, another point that I would like to touch on is Josephus, the Jewish historian Josephus, who seemingly gives us the most detailed information about the ancient Samaritans. However, if we look more closely, it uh, becomes clear that he had an uh, ambiguous attitude towards them. First of all, he already has two versions of how they originated. One goes back to the Old Testament, to the Two Kings, the book of Two Kings 17, where it says the Assyrians in the 8th centuries uh, conquered Samaria, deported the Sumerian population, and settled foreigners in the country, which uh, they called Kuthians. That's why the rabbis then called them Kutim. And uh, 
then a Samaritan priest was sent to them from Assyria that re-imported the teachings of the of uh, the Samaritan religion to them. So that's one uh, uh, explanation that he gives for their origin. As you can see, it's not a very flattering one because they are then descended in part from foreigners. Then the second version is that were Josephus claims that there was a priest in Jerusalem in the temple who had married a non-Samaritan. And uh, he left, he wanted to become high priest, but he couldn't in these circumstances. So he left from Mount Gerizim and became a high priest in the temple that his father-in-law had built for him. None of these uh, uh, stand up to historical uh, scrutiny, of course, neither of these. He reports about, in several sections, about the Samaritans outside of these two versions of their origins. The, he says that the, the temple was built with the approval of Alexander the Great. Then he describes disputes between Jews and Samaritans in Egypt about which temple is the rightful one, the one in Jerusalem or the one on Mount Gerizim. Then he describes the destruction of the temple by John Hyrcanus and uh, a disturbance on Mount Gerizim in the year 36 CE where there was a liar who was going to show them the hidden tabernacle vessels, vessels that he said were hidden there by Moses. And this led to a clash with the Romans and many Samaritans were killed, um, they say 11,000, you know. Overall, Josephus had an ambiguous attitude, as I said already. I should also mention now, going from Josephus to the contemporary time, namely uh, the, the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans were accepted by the Jews uh, in Israel, except for the Orthodox Jews, of course, there are definitely tensions between the Orthodox Jews. And I know from myself, I met when I was young, long ago in Jerusalem, there was a young man, a young Samaritan. He used to work in Tel Aviv and take the bus. And one day he sits in the bus and gets talking to his neighbor. And when his neighbor found out that he was a Samaritan, he got up and sat down elsewhere in the bus. But apart from this orthodox uh, attitude, otherwise they are accepted as uh, Israelis and uh, have the citizenship and so on. The uh, relationship between uh, Arabs and uh, Samaritans in Nablus on Mount Gerizim is um, a difficult relationship because many Samaritans consider that they are Jews, although on the on the surface from it, or officially, they are getting along. They have uh, they organize uh, events where they come together, eat together, and so on. But under the surface or in privacy, the uh, the uh, relationship is not as smooth as it appears. So, uh, I think I uh, 
that Abigail asked if she has more questions. Yes, well, that is fascinating. I think we have all learned so much as you've just spoken to us. I guess one other thing that I'd love to cover here as we continue on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM is just considering the Samaritan Passover. So yeah. I gave the virtual voyagers a slight taste of what yes. a Samaritan Passover is like, but I'm yes. wondering if you could kind of go through what the ceremony looks like and how it differs from the Jewish yes. Passover celebration. It differs very much. And by the way, it will take place in, on the 21st of April. So the Passover is very close now. It proceeds according to the prescriptions in, ex, in the book of Exodus, chapter 12. It, uh, they gather at night uh, on Mount Gerizim, the whole community. And by the way, it's a huge uh, uh, tourist attraction. And many uh, non-Samaritans know about the Samaritans mostly because of that uh, sacrifice. So they gather there, they say prayers under the guidance of the high priest. Then they have sheep prepared. Not Well, they will be slaughtered at one point and uh, fleeced and then hung up to be inspected if they are, have any blemishes or not. And uh, then salted. And if there is, by the way, if there is a sheep, that has a, a blemishes, it will be burnt right there. The others are prepared, so on them put into so-called ovens. These are uh, pits in the ground that are line, lined with uh, stones, not with, with uh, cement, but with stones. And there's a fire in there that has been going for several hours. They are lo lowered on the long spits into the ground, into the uh, these uh, ovens. The ovens are then covered with wet earth and grass. First, there is a grill laid wet, of course, and they are left there for about three, four hours to fry. And uh, then they are taken out, and uh, the meat is divided and uh, the people eat the meat at home. So as you can see, the Jews have the so-called Seder, where they meet at home around the table and uh, read and discuss the tradition. So it's totally different. This, uh, the Samaritans are convinced they have kept the original uh, Passover uninterrupted for 3,000 years. Now, again, Historically, of course, one has to look more closely. But in essence, this is uh, the, the uh, Passover sacrifice that the uh, Samaritans offer every year. And then the number of sheep, by the way, varies, of course, according to the participants. In the early days, well, in the very early days, they had one, uh, one oven in which they then they had three, four, and now it is, is much higher because of the number of the families. So that's, uh, that's in very brief words. That, but if you have a chance to go there, it is uh, really worth seeing.
that's for sure. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for explaining all of this about Samaritanism to us today, Dr. Pummer. We have learned so much. You're welcome, and I hope it was clear. I wish you best of luck. And those who are in Israel, they could go and watch the Passover because it is now in, in a few days. Perfect. We might just have to stop by. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we continue to explore the Samaritans and Mount Gerizim.